always talking. <laughs> In Italian, it sounds much nicer. Oh, you know, yeah. He's content to be a jerk. He doesn't care who knows it. This is the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast with pizza artist Eric John. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show today. This is Shut Up, You're Always Talking. I'm pizza artist Eric John. And uh, before we get into it, I've got to tell you about my friend John Scambato over at Yacht Club Soda. Um let me tell you something. I just finished drinking an ice cold blue raspberry yacht club soda. And man, on the first sort of hot day of the year, it was the best decision I could have possibly made. Yacht club soda is the best artisan soda in the entire world. And now even you living out there in California or Missouri or Texas can enjoy Yacht Club Soda. You do not have to be a Rhode Islander. You can go to yachtclubsoda.com and you can order this soda for yourself. They have all sorts of flavors. They've got orange cream, lemon lime, blue raspberry, as I said, is one of the best. They've got root beer, cream, uh, grapefruit, strawberry, grape, cola. It goes on and on. Um, John's always coming up with new flavors. So go to yachtclubsoda.com. Order yourself some soda today. You, you will not regret it. You can't get it anywhere else unless you live in the state of Rhode Island. You have to go to yachtclubsoda.com. So go there today. All right. Uh, today on the show, uh, we've got uh, Bill Hunt um, joining us. Uh, Bill is the chairman of the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island. Uh, he's run three times for state representative as a libertarian and uh, most recently won a battle with the Rhode Island Board of Elections uh, when gubernatorial candidate Eliza Gizzarelli was originally disqualified from having his name placed on the ballot, uh, only to have that decision reversed. Uh, after a closer examination of the signatures that were thrown out by the powers that be. Uh, Billy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Uh, well, I'm really happy to have you. And um, so just for everyone listening out there, I actually saw Bill recently. Um, we both were down at the Comedy Connection, um, down there to see Dave Smith perform. And um, I know you didn't stick around for the podcast, but did you like the show? No, I was the other. I, I showed up for the podcast. I, oh, I saw his podcast. That's right, you did. Yeah, I, I, I've seen his. I've seen his show before. I, I heard that it was a lot of uh, the same material, but um, no, I, I, you know, you know how it is with young kids. I got two kids at home, so uh, by the time bath time came around and everything, I was uh, missed the second show and could only make it for the podcast. Yeah, I'd say that I'd say the show was about half and half. Uh, I'd seen him a couple of years ago. So it seems to me like he's probably trying to put like a solid hour together of, you know, maybe the last three or four years of his material, maybe to do a special is what I'm imagining. Um, but yeah, yeah, the podcast was good. It didn't end up going on uh, uh, like youtube or rumble or anything i couldn't find it anywhere so they, they probably burned it after uh, they, they recorded <laughs> it uh, they kind of went off the rails there a little bit but, yeah it did, um, no, it, it, was, did. It, but it was fun man <laughs> i had a good time and it was good to see you too as well um so um so bill obviously like i've i've you know my the people who are listening who do listen to my show um you know i've mentioned that i'm a libertarian before um and so but you know for people listening who aren't and who don't know anything about it how would you define libertarianism? Well, um, I guess, you know, there's all the cliches out there, uh, but the, the old, uh, the, the, the Tim Nolan quote about uh, we want uh, government as small as possible, 
Uh, we want to eliminate as much as we can, and whatever is less, we refuse. Whatever is left, we refuse to pay for. And I completely just uh, butchered that quote completely. Uh, if I had known I was going to be defining libertarianism, I would have gotten it down pat. But uh, basically, is that you know, government is uh, the root of all evil when it comes to every aspect of uh, both uh, you know working in a business, uh, living your personal life, uh, anything. Uh, so to shrink the size of government as much as possible. Uh, is the goal of the libertarian to protect individual uh, property rights is really the way that I would define it. So why why is government the root of all evil? Like why why what is it about government that it needs to be so drastically reduced? Well, I, I mean, I, again, so I, I'm, I'm sure I'm preaching to the choir, and I, you know, I'm, you know, the litmus test of uh, what the uh, uh, the true libertarianism is and, and why uh, government is so evil, but. Um, you know, I, I've been you know, reading a lot of uh, Rothbard recently, and I think he sums it up, uh, you know, the best with the anatomy of the state and, uh, you know, just the describing a government as a criminal organization, a, a, a gang of robbers who are just uh, holding you up on the side of the road and saying basically your money or your life. And uh, unfortunately, unlike that gang of robbers uh, that may only attack you once in your lifetime or infrequently or sporadically, uh, the government inserts themselves into your life uh, permanently and are constantly sucking the, 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 uh, the, the life and the money out of your pocket and uh, are just a constant force. So they're much worse than actual the actual highway robber men on the side of the road as uh Rothbard ultimately uh, describes very well in, in his uh, both his essay and his book. So, so uh, I, I very that's very much the way that I look at it. And as you uh, tend to uh, get involved more with uh, you know being owning a business, uh, working with other businesses, and uh, you know being involved civically with your town and seeing how government is run and the waste and everything that goes into it, it just it just kind of you know reaffirms every single aspect of that. So. Uh, that's really uh, part of the reason why I'm so uh, committed and so involved with the libertarian liberty movement here in the state is just because uh, you know it's there's fertile ground to uh, to to attack uh, waste in government in the state for sure. Were you always a libertarian, Bill? Um, you know, I wasn't very political uh, growing up. I to say I never really jumped on. You know, a lot of people say I was very. Uh, you know, it was heavily involved with the Democratic Party or, you know, I was, you know, very liberal growing up. Um, I, I was very apolitical. I just didn't really give it much thought or attention. Um, and really, it wasn't until 9-11 happened and, you know, everybody was pissed off at uh, George Bush at the time. Uh, and uh, I really started getting paying a little bit more attention, just more in the fact that everybody was hating the the, the, the war in Iraq and expanding into Afghanistan and uh, everywhere else in the Middle East. Uh, so, you know, that got me paying attention a little bit more. And uh, when Ron Paul came on the scene, uh, I was, you know, kind of hit me like a ton of bricks, made perfect sense to me, everything that he was saying. Um, you know, I, I think back to those campaigns, it was probably, you know, the 2008 campaign, uh, the, the revolution. And, uh, you know, it was... The, I, I, I laugh because, you know, it seems technology and social media and everything seems you know, so ubiquitous now when it's involved uh, so much in politics and campaign. Uh, but even back then, it was just kind of in the fledgling stages of it. And you'd kind of go find place people to on meet up way back in the day. And, uh, you know, all these other sites that were kind of uh, hodgepodge together. 
but you know, his message resonated so well with so many people that uh, it was just kind of a grassroots movement. And that was kind of uh, really excite exciting for me and, you know, got me kind of down that path of uh, like a lot of people, uh, you know, just learning more about libertarianism and, and slowly and surely getting uh, more involved and uh, eventually running for office uh, like four, t uh, four times in five years or something like that. So uh, it's definitely uh, uh, something that uh, built upon itself over time for sure. What do you what do you think it was about Ron Paul in particular, um, you know, compared to someone, let's say, like Dennis Kucinich, who um, was sort of famous for being anti-war. It was kind of his whole thing, uh, who was a Democrat. Like, what what was it about Ron Paul specifically? Do you think that was so engaging? Because I think, like you said, I think it, it, it same same went for me and for a lot of people. Um, you know, a lot of people came to libertarianism that I know, um, you know, a lot came from the left side of things. Um, I was certainly very left uh, before I heard anything Ron Paul had to say. And it was the, the same as you. It was the war issue that really got me into it. So I'm wondering for you, what what was it about Ron Paul specifically that was so uh, interesting? Well, I mean, his, uh, you know, the, the famous moments in the debates and everything like that, obviously, uh, you know, we were watching the debates and have him go after uh, Giuliani and stuff like that and just kind of just telling it how it is and just kind of not basically giving AF. And I, I forgot to ask you before if we could swear or not on your podcast. I don't want to demonetize you or anything. Um, uh, you, but you, you, I, I'm, <laughs> so I'm trying not to. Um, but if you do, like, it's also not a big deal. Like don't worry, like don't worry about it. Like if you do, you do. It's not a big deal. I, I'm trying not to. I, I kind of assume most people I'll talk to won't. Like certainly the solo episodes I've done, like I've sworn plenty. So it's not. Don't so don't worry about it if you do. Oh yeah, no, that's no problem. But um, Ron Paul was just very uh, genuine in his delivery uh, and kind of didn't really uh, didn't fit the mold or the talking points or. Uh, you know, the the soft edges that uh, a lot of politicians have. Uh, he was very to the point. He didn't really, uh, you know, kind of wishy-washy or straddle a fence or kind of redirect the issue or spin uh, the answer to kind of be favorable to, uh, you know, what his uh, side of, you know, basically what his team was, was advocating for. Uh, everything that he answered and everything that he responded to during that campaign uh, was all based in the principles of libertarianism. So, I mean, that was what was very successful for me, I feel, in my runs for office was, um, you know, when you're involved in a campaign or you're involved in an interview or, you know, talking to someone at the front step about a particular issue and you can kind of fall back on, you know, the principles of the libertarian philosophy and kind of talk it through with them and, and, and have that conversation and, and work through any problem in your mind uh, with that anchor in that principle, uh, it, it's really effective and resonates with a lot of people. And a lot of people, I think, are libertarian and just don't realize it yet uh, because the, it's, it, it's, been, it's been brainwashed into people. I mean, this is the, the result of the type of education system that we've had. Um, you know, the, the idea that the more complicated any type of organization gets, uh, the more specialized uh, roles it takes in order to get that organization to function. Uh, so, again, this is another thing that Rothbard talks about is the iron law of the ol oligarchy is that you're always going to end up with a small group of people who are going to have the power. And uh, those people are going to do whatever they can do to expand that power 
and to keep that power. And that's just, again, uh, I, I, you know, and, and, you know, flipping that over to even something like as silly as the state libertarian party of Rhode Island, you know, we deal with the same issue. Um, you know, the, just managing a, a database of, uh, you know, of members and keeping up with renewals, keeping the lights on the website up, uh, social media pages active, doing a newsletter, having events, putting on the convention every year. Um, there's a lot of uh, just stuff that happens behind the scenes that takes a lot of work and a lot of volunteer time and a lot of effort that, you know, people on the front end don't necessarily see. Uh, and what you end up having, and I and I find it myself uh, as the chairman of the party, is people coming to me and asking for permission to do things or that they need, you know, I, I want to do this or you guys should be doing this and, and asking, you know, as if uh, they need validation or permission from uh, us as an organization. Uh, and it's that civil obedience that kind of is just built into the nature of people. And, and so, um, you know, it just in terms of expanding that out to the government uh, and you have a bunch of people who uh, have you know, financial or uh, other motivations in, 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 in mind, uh, you know, they're willing to do whatever they can to retain that power. And that's why we need more people who are liberty minded to run for office uh, to get into those positions uh, so that they're focused more on limiting government as opposed to expanding government, uh, because it's it's a it's a uphill battle, man, and you, and you need more people kind of pulling in the same direction. And, uh, you know, it, in the absence of us getting involved, uh, there's a vacuum and you end up with, you know, what you have now, which is, uh, you know, both two, two sides of the, uh, of the aisle arguing about, uh, you know, either raising taxes to raise, uh, to raise spending or uh, raise borrowing to raise spending, but neither one of them talking about shrinking government. So, uh, so I want to ask you about that because, you know, as we were talking about Ron Paul, and obviously, like he, you know, is probably the most famous libertarian that's ever lived. Um, you certainly could argue it, um, but he was also a Republican. So, you know, why why the Libertarian Party and not the Republican Party? Well, have you seen the Republican Party in the state of Rhode Island lately? Um, I mean, well, I have, but my you know my but my listeners might not have. So, I'm I'm curious what your thoughts are. Well, so um, there was something about 80, probably 85, 90 years ago now in Rhode Island called the Bloodless Revolution, uh, where Rhode Island at that time was a heavily Republican state uh, controlled by uh, the industrialists of the Industrial Revolution, the, uh, the Slater Mills and the, uh, you know, the, uh, the cotton mills and all the other uh, uh, manufacturing textile mills and everything that were uh, popular in the town. And uh, they were able, the Democrats at the time were able to uh, stage uh, take over the General Assembly and they've taken over power and have not given up power since and have an effective supermajority. And is there's something like 12, uh, 14 uh, members, uh, Republican members in the entire General Assembly, both the House and the, uh, the Senate side. Uh, so it's really an ineffective party here in the state. And without the benefit of having a presidential candidate every four years, who's going to get them the required uh, percentage of the vote to get uh, to keep them an active party, uh, they really wouldn't exist as a functioning entity here in the state. Uh, so, you know, with anything, you have the old guard, you have a group of people who um, are kind of set in their ways, and you know, they they are happy almost with the status quo. They're the, they're a, a, a 
a big fish in a small pond and uh you know they they you know throw up some candidates and they uh tilt at windmills and they don't really ever get anything accomplished or or build anything uh, they haven't done it in the last 80 years really so um i looked at that and i was you know toying with the idea in 28 2008 of getting uh, more involved with the republican party um, i helped out on a town council race in cumberland uh, for a Republican candidate, Jeff Kearns, who ended up winning uh, that seat uh, and, you know, kind of just saw the dysfunction of the party at that time. Uh, in the state of Rhode Island, there was an issue going on at that time with Ken Block and Alan Fung. And, uh, you know, Block had given up on his uh, trying to establish the moderate party and switched over to a Republican. And there was so much infighting in that governor's race in that primary uh, that it fractured and, and created a lot of bad blood in the already small Republican Party. And I saw all that happening. And I said to myself, why am I going to go in and get involved in, in that uh, quagmire uh, when I could, uh, you know, uh, get involved with something that's more in line with my true principles of, uh, you know, being a libertarian and, and the liberty philosophy and, uh, you know, uh, doing something to kind of grow the state uh, libertarian party here in the state. And, um, you know, uh, after my first run uh, in 2016, I was elected as secretary uh, and I've been on the executive committee on the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island uh, ever since. And I'm just finishing up my two year term as chairman. My first two year term as chairman uh, will be an election uh, at this upcoming um, convention in May on the, uh, the, the 21st of May at uh, Lucky's Pub in East Providence, a plug for everyone if you uh, if, you, if, th if you're thinking about joining, if you're a member already, uh, sign up and, uh, and join. If you are not a member of the Libertarian Party, if you join uh, before April 21st, you can uh, vote and be a voting member uh, in good standing at the convention. So I encourage anybody to vote, uh, sign up before uh, April 21st. Um, uh, but I digress. Uh, uh, but uh, the when I took over as chairman of the party a few years ago, um, you know, we had just gotten ourselves out of some substantial debt from some uh, bad decisions uh, for some events and some unforeseen issues that we had with the state in terms of reporting requirements and uh, that issues that limited our ability to uh, get sponsorships for events and, uh, you know, and to you know, do things that we wanted to do. Um, and I'm happy to say in my two year terms here, we've you know, run a, a candidate for governor. Uh, we've grown the party, uh, you know, uh, in terms of uh, having the organization uh, you know, put in place in order to run in a functional campaign like that. Uh, we have, you know, funds and uh, a surplus in our uh, accounting right now. And we have the funds in place in the next upcoming election cycle to fund uh, candidates uh, who are looking to run for office as well. Uh, we're looking to put institute a training program and stuff like that. Uh, so, you know, I, I felt that uh, you know, putting that time and resources into building something uh, like the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island uh, was uh, something I could kind of have a bigger influence on uh, than getting involved with the state Republican Party and all of the uh, politics and drama that are involved with that, I guess. So I want to I want to talk about the gubernatorial race in a second. But before uh, I, I get into that, what since you've been involved uh, with the Libertarian Party, what would what would you say are you know maybe is the greatest challenge um, 
in running a third party, but also, you know, why maybe give us your thoughts on why third parties in general have such a hard time breaking through the sort of two party um, duopoly um, that, that, that we have in the state and in the, and in the country. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, the nature of anyone who has decided they're a libertarian um, kind of self-selects people who are tend to be loners, tend to be uh, independent thinkers, uh, don't necessarily play well with others uh, per se. Um, and that is kind of antithetical to the type of people who are successful and um, or the political parties, I would say, that are successful. Um, you know, the other thing is, is that, uh, you know, libertarians look at the government and they see it as the problem where a lot of other people who are involved in other political parties look to government and they see it as the solution. Um, so naturally, you're going to get a lot more people involved in those parties where they're working towards a solution uh, as opposed to fighting against a problem. Um, you know, uh, people don't, you know, I, I tried for a while and it was, I had to get off social media, to be honest with you, for, uh, for after the pandemic and everything, because uh, it started to become, and it's always been, but it's really started to become a, a cesspool of negativity and um, just just bad blood and stuff like that. And it's, it's uh, there's a, a large group of voters, and I actually, I wouldn't even call them voters. It's the, it's the, the large group of the population who you know, like to complain online and like to always, uh, you know, badmouth the, the current state of events and, you know, everything that's happening. Uh, but they're the last ones to jump in and get involved when it's actually time to do something. Um, and the reason being, I think, and I've kind of learned this more and more, uh, even when I'm through my own campaigns and everything, is that uh, people want to have a positive interaction. They want to be for something. They want to be for liberty. They don't want to be against government. Uh, so it's going to be a, a balancing act of, um, you know, trying to get this message across and explain why government is so bad, but, you know, uh, try to turn it in a positive uh, messaging that uh, people are going to feel good about and, uh, you know, not kind of uh, throw their hands up and, and give up about, uh, you know, there's nothing I can do about it because, you know, everything that's going on, you got to have a, you know, smaller incremental goals. Um, so getting over that. Um, that apathy and, you know, kind of putting, getting people enthusiastic for doing some of the work, um, that's uh, a big obstacle to overcome. Um, but even a bigger obstacle might be people's perception of uh, a stigma or, you know, a reason for getting involved with a political party uh, that it may have a negative impact on them socially, uh, for their careers, uh, may have a negative impact uh, for them, you know, I mean, hell, even for IRS and tax purposes, uh, you know, I, I can't sit here and say that these are unfounded concerns by people that they have, uh, that, you know, people are, are you know, going to, you know, be negatively affected by their associations with the political group. Uh, but, you know, it has happened in the past. Um, you know, people are treated a certain way. Obviously, now it's uh, highlighted uh, significantly when you look at how people are treated if they are a Trump supporter or not a Trump supporter, um, you know, that, that right there is a, a polarizing issue that uh, people have made people hyper aware of uh, the issues involved with politics. 
And I think a lot of people would just rather check out and not get involved than to put their neck out on the line, uh, you know, to, uh, to get involved with the political party. But uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, without people getting involved, without people putting their neck on the line, uh, again, creates a vacuum. Uh, and whoever's left is the other side of the uh, of the political spectrum uh, who are looking to expand government and tax more and think the answer to every problem is another government program and throwing more money at the situation. Uh, so uh, we, we need people to, to, you know, kind of take ownership and personal responsibility, uh, you know, practice praxology, get out there and, uh, you know, uh, take human action and, 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 and do something to have a positive effect on your community. Uh, you know, it's, it, nobody else is going to do it for you. You, you. you have to kind of take that personal responsibility uh, for yourself and your family and, and, and your community and, uh, and, and be that person uh, because, there's not uh, there's not a lot of us out there to begin with, and uh, you know if we don't get involved, it's it's just you know it's, it's we're going to be pissing in the wind, and that's um and that's just something that uh, uh, is is certainly something that's the the most difficult part of this is 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 getting that message across and and getting that uh, bias for action for people to get involved with the uh, the political process here. So and so um, on top of all of that. Um... Elijah, who ran for governor the most recent time, this most recent election cycle, um, ran into some, you know, some pretty significant roadblocks uh, just trying to get on the ballot. Can you like what what exactly happened there? Oh, geez. Um, <laughs> we, this could be a 20 minute, uh, uh, 20, 30 minute well, version just, in and of itself. But well, it, just, it, just, it, well, it, what, ba- just it, basically it, it, yeah. in, what happened? Like, what was the issue? Yeah. In, in a nutshell. Um, we were in order to get ballot access, uh, in order to get a candidate on the ballot to run for office in the state of Rhode Island, uh, you need to get signatures uh, from registered voters in that person district. Uh, so uh, for a, a state state representative race, for example, uh, I think it's like 50 signatures in your district and Senate, it's like 100 and you go up and I think uh, Congress, it's 500. Uh, but statewide races like the lieutenant governor and um, the governor and presidential uh, primaries and stuff like that, uh, they have higher limits uh, and uh, a thousand signatures is required to get your name on a ballot uh, to run for governor. Now, unfortunately, those signatures need to be on separate sheets in the district that you're registered to vote in. And then they all have to be notarized and delivered to each of the the districts. They only give you like a little over a week to do this in the middle of July. Um, And again, it's like a three ring circus just trying to get everything distributed out to volunteers, uh, not to mention going out and physically collecting signatures and trying to explain to the average voter uh, uh, what you're actually trying to do figure out where they live, if they're registered to vote, all this other stuff like that. Uh, long so story ba- short so, is... Uh, so basically, okay. the, 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 the requirements, just before you even ran into the, the sort of the, the issue with the Board of Elections, right, the, the basic requirements themselves are kind of insane. Yeah. Well, it, Rhode Island has uh, some of the hardest ballot access requirements in the country. I, I won't claim them to be the most difficult, uh, but it, some in order to be a registered party in the state, uh, in some states, you just have to file some forms. Uh, some states require you to pay a fee. Um, it's a pretty straightforward process. In Rhode Island, you need to have either a governor 
or a presidential candidate run as a libertarian and get over 5% of the vote in a statewide election in those two races. Uh, so you get one chance every two years, basically, once in the governor's race and once in the presidential race. But in order to get your name on the ballot in the first place, yeah, you need to get those thousand signatures verified. Uh, we got well over, I think it was like 1,400 signatures or something like that of people who signed. Uh, but during the, the process of verifying the signatures, uh, they disqualified, and I don't have the numbers in front of me, but it was like you know one out of three signatures or something like that. And we ended up short. Uh, so we had to challenge the signatures. And uh, if you can imagine uh, what that actually sounds like, it's, it really is what it is. Uh, uh, state employees were going through and comparing signatures on a, a petition that we had signed uh, to the voting cards. And, and the Board of Elections went through and decided whether or not uh, they were, in fact, the actual signatures uh, to determine if uh, they were a valid signature or not. And the worst part about it was uh, most people's interaction with the state where they update their voter registration is at the Department of Motor Vehicles. Uh, because it makes sense, you change your address, you get your license updated, and they ask if you want to register to vote, kind of makes sense. Uh, unfortunately though, uh, they have you sign that stupid electronic pad that you use to sign uh, the signature on your license. Uh, so they're trying to compare an electronic signature on that pad like you do for a credit card or something like that to a signature on a petition with, you know, there's 40, 50 other names on the sheet uh, with the addresses all handwritten, uh, trying to compare that signature to an electronic signature and, and telling us that that's the only and most efficient way to determine if someone's uh, registered or could be qualified uh, to uh, get somebody on the ballot to run for governor. Uh, it's it's a it's a very convoluted and, and uh, restrictive process, and it's designed uh, to keep people off the ballot. And after like two or three hearings, uh, we got over the threshold. And uh, again, it's a month later, eight into our campaign time, and eight into our resources, uh, eight into everything else. And uh, even though we got a big article written about us about not making the ballot um, when we when they first denied us. Uh, we had got no follow-up email after we got the uh, overturned by the Board of Elections saying that we made the ballot. Uh, and then we're subsequently excluded from almost every debate as well. So, uh, yeah, the, 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 the challenges of running a third party um, is, is almost insurmountable because, again, we don't even want to run governors, governor candidates at all. Uh, we want to run local candidates, but we're trying to become a political party here. And uh, this is unfortunately the, the avenue to get that done. So uh, it's, it's a chicken and the egg type situation, unfortunately. Do you think the disqualification of the signatures was an honest mistake? Do you think it was incompetence or do you think it was intention, like intentionally malicious? I, I mean, it's impossible for me to accuse or be a coordinated effort because it's a uh the invalidations occurred at each and every municipality level in terms of the uh the different uh people who were checking uh each of the signatures were done at each town hall or board of canvassers office um i can say after reviewing the data there was discrepancies in terms of the number of signatures that were disqualified in some towns and I, I can't even remember what the towns were off the top of my head to be honest with you 
Um, but, uh, you know, it, it just goes to show that it's, it, it, unfortunately, um, depending on how the town is run, uh, what the instructions are, you know, interpreted by the board of canvassers, um, you know, you could have one board of canvassers, a town employee who is a super stickler for every little, uh, you know, signature and will disqualify every single one possible and another one that will, you know, make a good faith effort. And if it looks like it's, you know, a good signature, they'll, they'll pass it through. Uh, and if you're the unfortunate candidate trying to get on the ballot in one of those stricter communities, um, which tended to be the more populated communities, which tended to be the communities that had the higher uh, uh, urban poor and minority communities, uh, you may not have uh, the same, you know, uh, you may be disenfranchised in your ability to get on the ballot. Um, our um, uh, uh, one of our candidates, uh, uh, Corey, uh, uh, Corey, I can't pronounce his last name, Italian last name, um, ran for District Five, and he only needed to get fifty signatures uh, in uh, Providence, and that proved to be too difficult to get. Uh, I think he came up uh, five or ten short of validated signatures. Uh, even though he got well over the 50 required uh, because people signed his form that were outside of his district. Uh, people had not had said they lived in his district, but weren't registered to vote and had signed his form. Uh, so again, you know, if you're, if you're in an area where there's a, a higher transient community, people are changing addresses or moving in and out of apartments more, um, you know, again, it's, it's a, it's a more difficult process uh, for you to go through the mechanics of getting on the ballot and becoming a qualified candidate. And that could very well explain why the voter turnout is so low in those areas and why people feel like they, they're not uh, being heard is because it's so difficult for a candidate uh, to not only navigate this process, uh, but to they're also at the disadvantage of everything else that's involved with being in an urban community. So yeah, it's definitely something that needs to be looked into and reformed for sure. Well, I'm wondering why, so we're, as we're talking about third parties, right, the, the sort of the most famous third party candidate of all time in Rhode Island, obviously, is Bob Healy. And I know he has influenced you quite a bit, and he's, he's definitely influenced me uh, quite a bit in, you know, having worked with him in 2014 on uh, on his campaign. Why Why do you think he was able to, and I'm sort of just looking for your political analysis here. Like, why do you think he was able to break through to the extent that he did? Um, obviously, he didn't win the race, but he did get a huge, huge chunk of the vote, um, which is you know sort of way more than most third parties uh, ever uh, hope to get um, in the climate that we're in. What, what do you think it was about him or his campaign that was able to put him, you know? over so much with the with the with the general public so bob um you know he had the same uh genuine qualities that ron paul had in his campaigns uh where uh, again he he had specific issues that he believed in and he had things that he believed in um and he could answer a question or talk to you about anything and and rely on a certain set of principles um i, I don't think they were truly 100% libertarian, uh, you know, principles, but he had a very, you know, strong libertarian streak in him. Um, I, you know, I, I, 
I, I, I'm not sure if you've read his book yet. The one that just came out, uh, the, the cool moose book. Um, I, I was, uh, actually mentioned in the epilogue. Uh, I don't necessarily think it was the most flattering, uh, portrayal of, of my campaign in general. Uh, but I, I think that kind of, uh, you know, Bob Healy was a cult of personality that allowed him to kind of get his message across and get a platform and build upon that over time. Um, he did a lot of work in his time when he was on the school committee that gave him a lot of cachet and, and a lot of respect uh, from a position that a lot of people don't really think a lot of in terms of uh, the benefit of being a school committee member or anything like that. And he was able to parlay that uh, based upon the charismatic person that he was. Uh, and I think that's a great message. And, and, and you know, I, I obviously had a lot of inspiration from Bob Healy myself. I, and that's kind of what the, uh, the, the, the discourse was in the epilogue was uh, over a, a situation where the Gatsby Project had shared a, a Facebook ad or a Facebook um, post comparing me to Bob Healy uh, us both being from Warren, us both being third-party candidates uh, running for office in the East Bay, um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And there was a lot of backlash and uh, vitriol from uh, people who were, uh, you know, supporters of Bob Healy and uh, people in the community uh, who, again, who who felt certain ways about Bob as a person uh, and kind of internalized you know, him as an individual uh, and kind of got away from his politics uh, because they like they loved him so much as an individual. And and I while again, that worked well for him and it was great for him in terms of, you know, uh, you know, getting it was a 35, 36 percent of the vote for the moderate party. And again, keeping them on the ballot and, and, and keeping them party status uh, for another four years. You know, it, it really it wasn't sustainable. It wasn't something that, you know, after he passed, the moderate party didn't keep on his legacy. They didn't have uh, a message uh, that, you know, encapsulated, you know, the Bob Healy message uh, to perpetuate that on. Uh, and they've lost party status subsequently because they, they, they haven't had that leader to come in and take over. Um, and unfortunately, the Cool Moose Party itself right now only exists as a political action committee um and it's like a uh you know a, a website squatter sitting on a good domain uh they're they're sitting there uh going ahead and uh preventing anybody else from continuing on bob's legacy uh because no one can live up to uh you know bob's standards as an individual uh where if you really listen to what bob had to say and and, and a lot of what he had to say was uh democracy was a dirty game and that people should be able to get in the room and, and make the decision for themselves and, and be able to live with the outcomes that they made for themselves and that we need more people to get involved in their community and their local government in order to uh, continue on, you know, that civic engagement and that legacy. Um, and, you know, personally to be attacked for something like that, for me getting involved uh, you know, it, 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 it kind of uh, leaves a bad taste in your mouth and it, 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 it makes me reflect on, uh, you know, the Cool Moose Party in general. And is it a real political party uh, or is it just kind of a, 
uh, uh, this cult of worship for uh, you know this this legacy of uh, of a man who obviously was a great man and and left far too soon. But um, you know uh, the last thing I know uh, from my you know my knowledge of Bob from people I've talked to uh, you know it was that he didn't want to be, be people hero worshiping him for sure. And um, I, unfortunately, I think that's kind of what it's devolved into. You're a thousand percent correct. Um, Bob said to me many times um, that he it made him extremely uncomfortable when people would try to canonize him um, and treat him like this godly figure. Um, you know what he and uh, what he wanted people to do was to go out and do things for themselves. And you know that, I think that's why so many people would you know make their own signs and they would do you know i made videos and stuff on my own that wasn't like wasn't it wasn't some directive from the campaign you know it was just like go do what you want to do to support me and whatever you do is great for you um you know and i i've i've seen the the cult of personality that you're talking about so it's it's sort of like putting andrew jackson on the 20 dollar bill right the guy who was so vehemently opposed to paper money right it's sort of like yeah it's sort of like you know that sort of thing always made him incredibly uncomfortable. But at the same time, I think, you know, I'm wondering what you, you know, you mentioned that when, uh, when the board of elections kept Elijah off the ballot, there was a news story about it, but when the, when it was overturned, there was nothing. Um, and so I'm wondering, you know, is, is what role does the media play in, in terms of how difficult it is for third parties? Um, and is, was Bob's ability sort of to make it impossible for the media to ignore him because of who he was and what he looked like and everything. Um, you know, how, how big of a role does the media play? And, and, and if you're shut out of the media, like how, how much can that hurt you um, compared to these other parties? Well, again, unfortunately, without somebody who has the cult of personality that Bob has, um, it, it doesn't hurt the media to ignore third party candidates. Uh, because, you know, if again, I, I finished the book, uh, it was well written and I enjoyed it very much. Again, it was very surprised to find myself at the end. But uh, one of the things that was very interesting uh, about the uh, the story uh, or the, the um, I can, I'm sorry, <laughs> I completely lost my train of thought. Um, what was the question you asked again? Sorry. No, just about the, uh, the media and, you know, what role they play in making things, you know, difficult for, for third parties to break through. Well, one of the things that Bob was able to do, uh, was able to, uh, bully the media into allowing him, uh, into the gubernatorial race in, uh, for that run as a moderate, uh, because they had excluded him in past, uh, races and he was able to make inroads and uh, through letter writing, letters to the editor, uh, he made himself uh, a known commodity. He made himself uh, uh, somebody who had built those networking and those connections. Uh, and because he was a genuine person and because he was very smart and capable, I think people were able to look past a lot of the, the, the things that you know, came to define him about his physical appearance and everything like that. Uh, unfortunately, though, I think because he was so successful in doing so, and because he had such a big impact in that race, taking votes away from, uh, you know, Alan Fung and, uh, you know, and, and ultimately being cited as the reason why Gina won the race in her first term and, uh, and now 
has been voted one of the 100 most influential people in the in the world or something like that. Uh, uh, you know, that that's uh, something that uh, I don't think would happen again. I don't think the uh, the media is going to put themselves in that position again to give somebody else that type of platform unless they have the funding and the the money to make themselves relevant. And by that, I mean, you know, someone like a Joe Trillo or a Giovanni Ferrochi, or I'm trying to think of someone else recently who just basically dumped a ton of their own money into a campaign, uh, checked all the boxes that they needed to, uh, you know, to get to be considered a qualified candidate uh, in the media's eyes. Uh, and then, you know, were able to get a platform, uh, basically buy themselves a platform, uh, and then eventually not have any better success than, you know, any other third party candidate had as well. So, um, you know, I, you know, I, I, that's my complaining about the media. But again, um, let's try to give it a positive spin here a little bit. Uh, you know, if we're going to be relying on the media to get our messaging out, um, it's always going to be filtered. It's it's always going to be directed at not necessarily the people we're going after, because let's be honest, um, the people who are going to be most receptive to our message are checked out of traditional media anyway. So why are we looking for validation from them? Um, it really, it would have to be the grassroots effort in getting people involved uh, and building it from the ground up. And it's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen uh, in the next 10 years, 15 years. It's something that has to kind of build on itself, and it's not an e it's not going to be easy. It's not, but we have to kind of do it for ourselves. Find mediums like this, um, you know, podcasts and uh, you know uh, things like that that build a community and get these ideas out in a format that uh, people can uh, you know learn more about and get more engaged and more involved. Uh, that are outside the realm of the traditional media is, is very important. And we need to capitalize on that more, I think. Bill, I, I really appreciate you coming on and uh, and talking to me about a lot of this stuff. Uh, real quickly, though, before I let you go, um, who would you like to see run for president um, uh, from the Libertarian Party? Uh, <laughs> I, you know, I haven't necessarily, you know, picked uh, uh, who I would be supporting or endorsing. I like the idea of the libertarians running a presidential candidate as a means to help down ballot races. Um, I really think, you know, Spike Cohen did a great job uh, attempting that in the Jorgensen campaign. Uh, I think that he's turned out to be a, a great bright spot in uh, the libertarian party, uh, you know, nationally and getting our message out there. Um, I, I also, uh, you know, obviously Dave Smith is, is somebody who I, I, I like a lot. I enjoy listening to his podcast. As you know, I showed up to, uh, with, he saw me there in East Providence. And uh, I think that he would make a, a good candidate as well, too, because uh, he does a very good job of, of uh, distilling the message and, and getting it out in a, in a way that um, you know, resonates with people. Um, and he has the platform, uh, you know, uh, as well. So uh, I think they would be our, my, my front runners. Um, I'm not as, you know, I'm not as uh, hot as some of the lukewarm uh, libertarian candidates. Uh, you know, I think that's that we've had in the past. Um, I think that's kind of hurt us more than anything else. Uh, they haven't really had a lasting impact in terms of, uh, you know, getting volunteers to come and stay. It's more of a, you know, a, a holiday party 
for people who are just just upset with the major party candidates uh, for that election cycle. Uh, but you know they'll jump back on the uh, go back to being a Democrat or Republican as soon as uh, whoever they don't like uh, is out of office and there's somebody else to support. So um, I, I think we need to stay true to our principles and uh, the genuine nature of the libertarian philosophy and uh, lead heavily with that. And whatever candidate is going to do that and support uh, the local affiliates and the down ballot races uh, would be one that I'd be glad to support for. Uh, the presidential nominee for the Libertarian Party. Bill, thanks. Thank you again so much. Where can people learn about the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island? Uh, LPRI.us is our website. Uh, check out the events page. Uh, we are going to have an Earth Day cleanup that's being put on by the Rhode Island Liberty Alliance and sponsored by Liberty RI and the Libertarian Party of Rhode Island. Uh, that's going to be on Earth Day. Uh, we adopted a road, um, and uh, it's on Saturday, the April 22nd, I believe, from 10 to 12 or 1, whenever we get done. Uh, it's the most beautiful road in the state, Veterans Memorial Parkway in East Providence. Uh, there's a bike path there, so if you got kids, you can bring them along. They can help clean up the bike path, won't be crawling in the streets or anything like that. And uh, we'll have signs and reflective vests and uh, T-shirts and everything like that uh, for everybody. So... Uh, come out, come on out and join us. It's going to be a great uh, family event. Uh, and then, like I said, we're going to have our convention coming up uh, on May 21st at Lucky's Pub in East Providence as well. Uh, again, you can find out all that information uh, on the website at lpri.us. And we do have social media. Uh, again, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I don't know, whatever else we have. Uh, it's all on our website, links to everything. So, uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks again for having me. I really had a lot of fun. You've been listening to the Shut Up, You're Always Talking podcast. I gotta go. Go where? I mean, we just got it. I got that thing. I gotta go. With pizza artist Eric John. Uh, wait a couple of minutes. We'll all leave together, okay? This way you don't go out like a bunch of hobos staggering out one at a time. Please like, share, and subscribe.